That will certainly preach. And if you think about it, when we open up our hymn book, if you look behind, if you look behind the story of those hymns, you, you will find in most cases that it was out of the darkest time in their life um, that, that that was written. Um, just uh, it's amazing because we're all building a life on something, every single one of us. And uh, the Word of God tells us that the storms are going to come and the house that's built on the rock is the house uh, that will stand. And um, what a blessing. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much, brother. I love you and uh, just the sincerity of your heart to, uh, to just... Sing for the glory of the Lord. I, I love you, and I thank you for that. And I, I pray and I believe that that um, has uh, tilled up some hearts uh, to be receptive to the Word this morning. And I want you to take your Bible and find uh, Acts chapter 2. And, uh, of course, I'm still on the subject of revival. I didn't finish my sermon last week. I just had mercy on you and let you go. Um, you know, but uh, I figured I'd come back and and just uh, beat that a little bit more because uh, we need revival. And um, I pray that uh, as we look in this morning that the reason we need revival is because a lot of the things that we say we want to do and that we're laboring and we're praying and ministering for, those things happen as a result of God's people being Revived, And so I want us to look in the Word of God this morning at Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Would you please stand this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word. And preaching on the subject, Lord, send a great revival. And in Scripture this morning of Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one Lord in one May sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all pleased and they marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of the adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the historical account given to us of the fulfillment of your promise 
that the Holy Spirit would come. And thank you, Lord, that to every blood-bought believer today, we possess this very power in the Word this morning. God, help us to know that, to understand that, and Lord, to live like the people that you have called us to be. People of power, people of purpose. Lord, people that are prepared. God, feel your call on our life and your will in our lives. Now, Lord, I pray, God, for revival. And Lord, I know that I can't bring it. I know that these men that we've asked to come and preach uh, next uh, you know, week are not going to bring it. That, God, we would be prepared that we would sincerely pray that, Lord, you and all of your sovereignty and, and majestic glory would send revival to your church, to this church, to me, to this people, uh, as an individual, collectively, Lord, that we would know we've been in your presence, Lord, send a great revival. May you be glorified in the preaching of your word today, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. And, and you may be seated. Last week as I was uh, preaching about the subject of a revival there in Psalm 85, we talked about, you know, uh, who, who needs revival? Uh, what is revival? And uh, I believe based on Scripture that uh, revival is for God's people. Uh, that the lost uh, need a resurrection. Uh, they need much more than a revival. They're dead. Uh, the revival comes to those who are dying, whose spirit is weak, whose spirit is demoralized, who need a, a fresh touch and a fresh fire and wind of God, uh, if you will, in their sails to propel them to continue on and persevere for the glory of God. That is what revival is. Revival is awakening uh, that which is on the verge of, of going into sleep, or maybe is asleep, but to wake us and to stir us up. That, that holy elbow growing up that I remember from a dear sister that sat a few rows in front of us, uh, that holy elbow that would hit her husband all the time and would acknowledge and uh, wake his spirit up and jar him to understand that, that he was still alive and that somebody was preaching the Word of God. I remember that very vividly. They would even begin to argue about who was really asleep and who wasn't. And, and it, it, it meant something to me as a young boy growing up. Uh, number one, that I was, I was never going to go to sleep because I didn't want my wife uh, nudging me in the ribs. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, it made an impact in the sense that we need a fresh awakening of God. We are, we are living in a time in which we see the effects of a church that is asleep in America today. That slumbering uh, in America today and Western civilization as a whole today in Christendom. We need a revival. Uh, Tiff County, our, our, our city, uh, our county, our community needs revival. And, and so often, as I said before, we focus on uh, the lost and we focus on their need for Jesus and absolutely they need the Lord. But I want to show you in Scripture this morning that if the church is revived, then that is a natural consequence of God's people when we are experiencing the revival of God. 
See, we make a mistake sometimes in, in that we, we wonder or we say, well, revival has come and revival goes. Well, see, revival is not meant to last. It's really not. I'm reminded of something that someone said to Billy Sunday years ago and, and said, why do you keep having revivals when they don't last? And, and, and Billy Sunday's re- comment back was, well, why do you keep taking a bath? Right? We, 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 we take a bath. And, and what happens to us? Well, we get dirty and we do what? We, we take another bath. Now, I understand if you're young and you're a teenager, you, you haven't come to understand necessarily the reasoning that you need a daily bath, but trust me, you do. And uh, the church needs an awakening. The church needs a cleansing, a revival. And, and, it, and it's something that, that recharges and restarts and refreshes, but it's not something that will last. Which is why when we look through history, we've seen revivals over, over and over again. It's for God's people. The scriptures that so oftentimes we look to are not about lost people coming to know Christ, but the church being revived and coming to repentance and humility and humbling themselves before God to cry out, God, use me, have an impact through me for your glory. There are many great quotes from pastors of old of history that talk about the need for revival. Um, G. Campbell Morgan said that revival cannot be organized, but we can set ourselves to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon His people once again. Amen. Uh, Next week, this week, as we're leading up to this harvest week, this is about setting the sails. Setting the sails in our life to, to uh, get the fresh fire of God, the fresh uh, breath of God upon us as, as the Holy Spirit comes and brings revival to His people. Revival is the people of God living in the power of an ungrieved, unquenched spirit, says Stewart. An unquenched spirit. An ungrieved spirit. See, the Scriptures tell us that we're not to grieve the Spirit of God, that that when we are living a life that is counter to what God has called us to, that we grieve the Holy Spirit, that we quench the Holy Spirit. Our actions, our attitudes, sometimes grieve and quench the Spirit of God, and, and the power of God does not work and is not on display and manifested in the way in which it should. Howard Springs said the kingdom of God is not going to advance by our churches becoming filled with men, but by men in our churches becoming filled with God. Amen. Hallelujah. We need a fresh fire of God in our souls that we would be busy about ministering and fulfilling the call of God in our life. And in Scripture, I believe a a vivid picture of what revival looks like in a very early church. And I hope by the power of God that we connect dots this morning. And that that, that this doesn't end with, you know, I just kind of, we we cut it off and that's it, but that there are certain things that, that maybe in your spirit agree to do today that will prepare you, that will raise the sail, if you will, to catch the fresh wind, the fresh spirit of God in your life. Well, in Acts chapter 2, Peter tells us, uh, uh, Scripture teaches us that uh, Peter along with those others, they're gathered in an upper room. 
And in uh, chapter 2, we see the filling of the Holy Spirit come. But if you back up to chapter 1, they're there for a specific reason. They're there in that upper room because the Lord has told them, I want you to go and I want you to uh, prepare to receive the Holy Spirit. And guess what they did? This is, a remar- this is remarkable. They obeyed immediately. And they gathered in that upper room, 120 of them, the Bible says. And they prayed and they were, were ready to receive the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, this was God's promise. He said it would be, it's beneficial for you that I ascend and that I leave so that the Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit will not come if I do not leave. And, and, and he said the Spirit of God is going to indwell every believer on planet earth. Every believer on planet earth. Uh, no longer would you, would you have to be in the vicinity of where Jesus was ministering to hear a word, to experience the power of God. But He would leave and He would send the Holy Spirit to every blood-bought believer. A fulfillment of His promise. He said in verse 8 that when the Spirit of God comes, you're going to receive power on high and you will be, you will be my witnesses all over ultimately to the ends of the world, to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And we see that being fulfilled here in the very first few chapters of the book of Acts. Folks, this is what happens when revival hits the church, when revival comes to the church, when revival lands on the people of God. They had been praying for it. And in the midst of that prayer, Peter begins to look to the Scriptures as it relates to a need that they have. Judas is gone. He's portrayed, he betrayed Christ. He, he had a role in this, and he fulfilled that role. And Peter says, according to Scripture, there needs to be another to take his place. And so they, they connect the power of God with... Uh, the, the, or the, they connect the prayer to the power of God through prayer... Uh, through the preaching of the Word, and revival falls on the people of God. They were wanting it. They were desiring it. They were ready to receive it. And they were being obedient to Scripture to ask, to seek, and to pray that the Lord would send the Holy Spirit. And He did. And man, when it came. When it came. Uh, we, we, we sing, Lord, send a great revival. Send a great revival, Lord. Send a great revival in my soul. Are you ready for that? Now, I want you to think about that question. Are you ready for that? Do you want that? Because I want to tell you that if the Lord sends revival into your heart, into my heart, I want you to understand we are not going to be the same. We're not going to be the same. And we can look in Scripture and we can see that when the revival falls and the Spirit of God comes, they're not the same. They're not the same group of people. And the Word of God tells that the evidence of the Scripture uh, being fulfilled is that when the these tongues fell on each individual. And, And this tongue was a language because God being God in all of His sovereignty, had created through this observing of uh, Passover or observing Pentecost and what that meant to Jewish people, that they were there. Men were there. 
Every single Jew uh, from all of the nations took that journey back to, to take part in this feast as they were told in the Old Testament to do. See, they were there. They were, they were following what they had taught in Scripture. And they were there from all over the world. Different languages, different people groups. And God, in His sovereignty, would bring revival and would gift those people with a different language to speak the gospel so that all of those men would hear the gospel. I mean, that's what it says. And, and they even said, how is it? How is it that these Galileans, they speak my language? And the Bible says they were perplexed. They were confounded. How can these things be? And I want to tell you something. There's a great picture there of when the power of God, when revival comes to a church, there is a level of awe. Wow! How can these things be? I'm telling you, there's, there's a great, just a beautiful picture here. How good it is when God's people have no explanation for what God's doing. It's just God, man. We are oftentimes too focused on methods and means and measures. And all of those things are good and all of those things have their pleasure. But I want to tell you, I have been in conferences. I've been to, to, uh, uh, to preacher uh, things out here, these things that folks will put on and, 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 and they get somebody in and it's, and it's about a new book, it's about a new method and all of this stuff. Folks, those things are great, but none of that brings revival. Not a single bit of it. We got all kinds of evangelistic outreach uh, methods and plans. All kinds of witnessing plans and so on and so forth. And I want to tell you to this day, none of of that will ever take the place of a person with a burden of God on their life and their willingness to share their testimony, the gospel, and to see a co-worker, a friend, a relative, somebody they live close to, knowing they're unchurched, knowing they don't need God. Nothing can take the place of a burden in your heart when you are set on fire by God to go reach that person for the glory of God. There's not a method, a measure, a mean that we can come up with that will compel somebody to do that kind of work except the Spirit of God. It's a dependence upon Him. Not saying things to help you organize your talent to use it, but in and of itself, oh, it is in the power of God that we must minister. It is in the power of God that we evangelize and we, we, out, you know, we reach out to the community. We must do that in the strength and the power of God. And we see this vividly on display in Acts this morning. Now I want to tell you when revival falls and the power of God falls and we see God working there will be the perplexed nature uh, of people in awe of how can these things be. But I want to tell you something else there will also be. There will also be the mockers. There will also be those who are there to discourage. There will always be those who, who have a negative word, who are always there to uh, Uh, take your joy and rob your joy and the cold water committee is going to come and say we never do that like that we've never done it like that and and they're there to throw cold water on the fire of God that will always be around it was here there are those who looked around and they said oh these folks are full of wine they're just drunk 
And there are those who will say the church is, well, it's full of hypocrites. There are those who say the church has outlived its purpose. Uh, there are those who say we don't need the church, etc., etc., etc. You'll always have that when you seek to minister in the power of God. When God is working and people are perplexed by the nature of what God is doing, there will always be that pushback. This is just mere men drunk. And by the way, I love the way Peter even begins his, his sermon with, folks, it ain't late enough for folks to get drunk. See, what happens when God sends revival? There's an impact. There is something that God is doing as revival spreads out. Now I want you to notice, as revival comes, if you'll go over there in chapter 2 at the end of the sermon that, that Peter preaches, the Bible says in verse 40 of chapter 2, with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation, and understand, uh, you know, Peter's sermon is not a uh, seeker-friendly sermon. His, his sermon is, is, is not the typical, everybody's got a, you know, uh, a God-sized hole in their heart that only he can fill with his love. That's not Peter's message. Peter's message is your sin put an innocent man who was the Son of God on the cross. And you ought to be ashamed of it. You ought to despise yourself for it because you're dead in your trespasses of sin. And if you don't repent, you're going to die and go to hell. That was his sermon. And I love it because here, here's Peter who always had something to say. Except this time he didn't swap feet when he opened his mouth. He preached in the conviction and the power of God. And boy, it had a work. Verse 41 says, And those who gladly received His word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. You want to see lost people saved? I want to see lost people saved. That's why we're here. We're to, we're to go and tell. That's what the Scriptures say. But I want to tell you, a church... That, that is not revived, that is not on fire for God, that is not experiencing the glowing radiance of God uh, through the Spirit in their life, will not be telling folks about Jesus. When there's this unity and confusion and there's backbiting and, and groveling going on in the house of God, the church does not grow. The church doesn't grow. I've never known anybody who knew that their local church was a mess and full of factions and dissensions and disputes and cliques and clanks and all of these other things and schisms and isms. I've never known a single person who was participating in that that was ever out here joyfully inviting people to come to that church. No, they're out here talking to folks to see where they can go because they're tired of it. The Word tells us that a divided house cannot stand. And I want to tell you, revival, those 120, they were there for one reason. God, send the Spirit of God. Send the Holy Ghost. Send the Comforter. And God did. And when He sent it, there was prayer, 
There was power in their preaching and they began to practice certain things that we still do to this day. Why? Because that's what the church did. Verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They had a belief system. In fellowship. In the breaking of bread. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And in prayers. They met. They ate together. They prayed together. They served together. They loved together. And verse 43 says, Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And look at verse 44. All who believed were together, had all things in common, and they sold their possessions, their goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate the food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now I want you to zero in on verse 47, praising God and having favor. That does not mean what's, what we may think it means. That does not mean that everybody's like, boy, aren't you grateful for this new thing we have out here called the church. I am so thankful. Peter's sitting up there and telling us that the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament has come in the person of Jesus Christ and we put him on a cross. I want to tell you, there was a group of people that was not happy with that message at all. And I want to tell you, for the Gentile who was loving it, living in their sin, the the Roman citizen who, who indulged themselves in sin, they were not lining up to hear a message that you need to repent and turn from your sins. No, when the Scripture tells us that they were having favor with the people, I believe that means that the Holy Spirit was going before them, convicting the hearts, and supernaturally, through the power of God, drawing people uh, to that message of the gospel that would repent and come to saving faith. That's what I believe it means. And they were content with understanding that we're going to stay on message, we're going to stay on mission, and we're going to believe that God is going to add and He's going to bring and He's going to do. And whatever happens, it will be fine. This is what happens when a church is experiencing revival. It's unexplainable. And we understand that nothing, nobody's going to uh, repent and come to know Christ and experience this supernatural work of God apart from the drawing of the Holy Spirit. I've said it before and I will say it again. If I can talk you into something, somebody else can talk you out of it. We seek a supernatural work of God. We seek the power of God. We seek the favor of God resting on people, drawing them unto salvation. What is our job? Our job is to do what we're called to do. Continue steadfastly in doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers, preaching and teaching the Word of God, growing, loving, and loving. That's what a church that is revived does. A church that chooses to do that will not be without persecution. If we follow uh, Acts... If we just go through the next few chapters, we find that Peter and John are arrested. They're put into custody. They are beaten for basically a man that was crippled walking and dancing. That's what they were arrested for. And, and, and in the power of God, as they sat before that council and were told, 
to never preach in that name anymore. They answered in boldness and said, Hey, we cannot help but speak of the things of God. Now, I don't know what you're going to do, but we know what we are going to do. Folks, that is power. That is a church that is connected to God in prayer. That is a church that is living out the power of their testimony and, and, and the mission of God on their lives without fear, with boldness. No matter that persecution would come. As they came back and they met with the church, they prayed, Lord, for more, for more boldness. And out of that comes uh, the opportunity to go and to take the gospel even further. We see the miracles and, and all of these things coming and we find that uh, deacons are appointed to, to meet the needs of the early church. We find in chapter 7 that Stephen is, is stoned uh, and killed. His life is taken from him because he preaches the gospel and their need to repent. And uh, chapter 8 begins with this, that Saul was consenting to Stephen's death and at that time a great persecution arose. A great persecution came against the church which was at Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. You remember way back in chapter 1 there in that what the Lord said He was going to do? He said, you're going to receive power and you're going to uh, take the message of the gospel uh, to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the world. Folks, this is God accomplishing His will. We find that in chapter 8 that Philip, uh, one of the very first deacons, he goes down to the city of Samaria. He preaches Christ to them. And in verse 6 there of chapter 8 it says, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. What a headline. What a status. What a tweet. I would say we'd love to see it in the Tiffany Gazette, but it'd be misspelled. There's great joy in the city. God is on the move. God is at work. God's presence is being manifested and people are giving up the addictions. People are walking off the street. People are coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, folks, so many times, and, and there's needs everywhere. I mean, just on a Saturday, get in your car, drive to the grocery store, go over there to Rose's, go to Walmart, go to Lowe's, drive down US 82 going west. Folks, there's a shopping cart every hundred feet. There, there are people uh, walking down those, uh, that highway talking to something out of their minds. Folks, we got measures. We got methods. We've got ministries. I don't tell you, those things are all needed, but nothing will ever take the place of a fresh God and the Spirit of God being poured out on His people. And that, as a result of that, it manifests itself into all of these other things we say we want to see solved. 
That's what revival does. Revival brings the gospel to the lost. Yes. You want to see healing? That comes as a part of God's people receiving revival. You think the people of Samaria just woke up one morning and they they were like, man, I tell you, something's missing. No. They were there to do their own thing, but I want to tell you when Philip showed up and the power of God that was resting upon him showed up, I want to tell you the Spirit of God went in favor of him and convicted the hearts of people. And when he preached the gospel, tons of people came to repent of their sins and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I want to tell you, God's not a person that's just worried about numbers. God help us understand that. Because I want to tell you, Philip, who's having a great revival in that city, in the very next chapter, God just leads him over here to reach one man with the gospel to baptize him and for him to take that message back to his own country. Do you understand that as we get rid, as we move past chapter 8 in the book of Acts, please see this. Mrs. Please see this. Please understand what I'm saying. By the time we leave chapter 8 of Acts, the early church has already brought the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and through this eunuch to the uttermost parts of the world. God has already done that. There's no Twitterverse. There's no 24-hour news cycle. There are no newspapers. There, there, there's no automobile, there's no radio, there's no television, there's none of that. And yet God is accomplishing this mission in the very first few uh, months of the life of the church. How? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. How different would our world be if we received the power of God and experience the manifestation of God in this way, what a difference would it make in the lives of those that we say we love and we care about? Young or old? So what can we do, right? What can we do? What can we do to experience what Martin Lloyd-Jones called uh, Days of heaven on earth. That's what he described revival as. Days of heaven on earth. What can we do to set ourselves to receive revival? I want to I challenge you in these four ways. This week and through the week of revival, I want to challenge you to pray. And I, I'm, I mean pray earnestly for revival in your life. Pray for these men that are coming. I mean, I, 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 don't want, I don't want just some warmed over, leftover message that we're going to tweak. And I, I want, unless that's what God wants sincerely for them to bring. I want to hear a word from God to know that I've been in the presence of God. We must pray. Seek that. Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, 
Yes, we'll pray for all of those needs that we bring up, but, but much of what we pray for needs to be on this subject of God. We need revival. Sin revival. Use these men mightily, Lord. Prepare us. God, sin, revival. Prepare us for revival. The second thing I want to ask you to fast. Nowhere in Scripture does it say when you pray and you think about fast. You, you never find that. What you do find in Scripture is that when you pray and when you fast. And, and in the ancient world, I want to tell you, food was, you didn't go down to your local grocery store and pick up whatever you wanted. F- food was hard to come by. And when, when, it, when, when you were told to fast and to do without food, you're talking about a, a exercising faith? That if, you, that if you do without a meal today, uh, that it may be, uh, you know, even though you're planning on fasting for a day or two, it might be a week before you can find, uh, before you can eat, honestly. See, see prayer connects us to God. And fasting disconnects us from this world. And that's what we need. We need to be connected to God and disconnected from this world. And I want to tell you, for some of us, when we're talking about fasting, maybe food's your thing. Sweets is your thing. But maybe it's the Xbox. Maybe it's the PlayStation. Maybe it's the Twitterverse. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's Fox News. And I'm going to just cut it off. And I'm going to disconnect from every new narrative that comes out over the airwaves every day that wants to get all of this angst up in me and worry and concern and to drive this belief in my mind that there's nothing we can do and we're without hope and somehow God is impossible of connecting with us and changing uh, this situation we're currently in. I'm tired of that. Disconnect. I can assure you, when we look around the world and we see the calamity, whether it, whether it be in, 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 in uh, Europe, uh, uh, you know, Eastern Europe, whether it be in Jerusalem, you just pick a place, man. I want to tell you, nothing that we're doing in Washington is going to help any of that. Not a thing, man. Disconnect from Brian Kilman. Every answer is just vote for somebody with an R in their name. Brian Kilmeade, is, his worldview is so shallow, my friend, he could fall over first in it. He wouldn't even be close to drowning. And these people got all that. We start our day with thoughts and friends so they can get us good and depressed and anxious before we ever even walk out the door. No solutions. Just worry. Just worry. Just worry. I'm tired of Pray fast. Disconnect from this world. Connect with God and prepare. Prepare. When the Holy Spirit puts His finger on your problem, on my problem, do something with it. Do something with it. When when the Spirit of God checks us over our attitude, over words we say, places we go, things I feel, do something with it. Prepare ourselves. I remember the old saying years ago, the man always would pray, 
God, clean out the spider webs. Lord, clean out the spider webs. Finally, somebody told him, said, maybe you need to just pray that God get rid of the spiders. Get, get rid of, see folks, we're a vessel and if God's going to fill it, we got to empty ourselves. Prepare yourself. Empty yourself. Get rid of all this junk that is hindering us from experiencing the power and the blessing of God. And then participate. Participate. Plan. Plan for for that next week. Plan for Harvest Week. Through the evening we start at 6.30. A nursery is provided. But But listen... You know and I know. We live in a world where, I mean, things happen. There's going to be so much that comes up that'll be an excuse for you not being here. It'll just happen. And sometimes it's legitimate reasons. You can't do anything about it. But I know this. If we don't prepare ourselves and we don't focus on the the need and the desire to participate and be active in it, I can assure you, you, you won't make it. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because I believe in every opportunity we have to submit ourselves to God and His Word, that is an opportunity for God to challenge and change our lives and for us to receive revival. Now, those are all four things we can do. You may not do them, and you know you don't have to tell me if you are. I'm just saying. We need to pray. We need to fast. We need to prepare ourselves and participate. I ask you to do that. And sincerely, sincerely, Seek the Lord. That God would send a great revival. Folks, our friends and our relatives, people that we work with and our neighbors, people that we live close to, God, they, they need that. They need for us to be real and to be right with them. Would you do that? Would you seek the Lord passionately? Jealously? God... Use me, God change me, God have your way in me. That be the desire of our heart this morning. I want to ask you if you would as we close, would you bow your head in prayer? We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation in a moment. And whatever God may be leading you in the power of the Holy Spirit to do, I pray that you be obedient. Lord, we look to the past and we see how God mightily you have chosen to work in the past. Lord, we are still here. Your church is still here. You're not finished. You're not done with us. So God, I pray that, Lord, we would prepare ourselves to receive from heaven, to set ourselves, God, to catch revival. We ask sincerely, Lord, that you would send it. Have your work in our lives. Help us to accept the challenge, the call to godly repentance. For your glory we pray. Amen. Let's stand our-